Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My grandfather's story always haunted me. It- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It was a story he would recount only in hushed tones under the cover of darkness, as if the very act of speaking those words could summon the horrors he witnessed. He was a member of a special forces team sent into the Chernobyl exclusion zone after the nuclear catastrophe. Their mission, retrieve critical data and secure dangerous materials. I remember sitting by the fireplace, my grandfather's weary eyes locked onto mine as he began his chilling narrative. We arrived in the dead of night, he'd say, his voice trembling with the weight of memories. The radiation was suffocating, a silent, invisible menace that clung to everything. Their objective was clear, but the zone was a different world. A twisted, eerie landscape where nature and technology had fused in grotesque harmony. The hostile forces that once stood as human sentinels now wore the deranged faces of mutants. My grandfather's team moved in silence, avoiding confrontation whenever possible. It was on the third night that they saw it, that enigmatic creature. They were huddled near the forest's edge, cloaked in shadows. We heard a rustling... My grandfather would recount, and then it happened. A huge, humanoid, horse-looking thing sprinted out of the forest into a moonlit field. It was surreal, running like the wind, clocking in at a blistering 40 miles per hour. He would describe how it moved, hunched and limping, yet powerful. Its lean, muscular form was completely pale, almost gray, and it was naked as the day it was born. They couldn't shoot at it, not with the omnipresent radiation threatening to poison their very souls, but my grandfather would swear on his life that the creature wasn't from this world. Its presence radiated otherness, alien quality that sent shivers down his spine. The rest of the mission blurred into a haze of nightmares. They secured the data, neutralized threats, and returned from that cursed place. But the memories of that creature lingered like a shadow over my grandfather's life. 
As years passed, the Chernobyl incident exacted its toll. My grandfather, once a pillar of strength, slowly withered away. Cancer, the relentless phantom, claimed him, as it had claimed so many others who had dared to tread in that deadly zone. It was as if the very radiation he had breathed in had seeped into his very soul, corrupting it just as it had corrupted the land. And so my grandfather's story lived on in me, a chilling testament to the horrors of Chernobyl. I often wonder about that unknown creature, a twisted symbol of the zone's twisted reality. Was it a mutation, a product of radiation, or something far more sinister? I may never know, but one thing remains certain. The scars of Chernobyl run deep, touching generations and leaving behind tales of unspeakable darkness. Nia, my friend Cass, decided to go on a drive about an hour ago because there was a spot I'd been looking at going to at night because it was secluded and a good spot to smoke in general. Around when we started talking about it, he noted that he started smelling something sweet, cherries and a hint of cigar. I was familiar with this entity as it's been around my room since I moved in back in 2020. It's not a malevolent entity and is actually quite kind. Cass stated that it felt like he'd been hugged and just overall felt comfortable with the entity around him. So we go on the drive and we're talking and all, and we turned down the last road until the destination when I saw a tree down in the road. It didn't block the road completely, but it was too narrow of a gap for my car to fit. Well, I knew a back road that led to the same destination, so we turned around and headed down that way. It was a very wooded back road no service, very few houses for miles and surrounded by trees. It was the type of road to only have one lane because of how unused it is. As I'm driving, we're talking and we pass over a bridge. I pointed out as a spot I wanted to take him another time since it's just a neat area. Not long after we passed it, he said, did you see that? It's a very curvy road, so I initially assumed it was an animal as I hadn't seen anything. I asked what he saw, and he said, it looked like something that crossed the road. Immediately, I got an intense feeling of dread. I asked if he felt it too, and he confirmed that he did so. I stopped the car, took a moment, and immediately said, we're not supposed to be here. He agreed, and I turned around, heading back to where we just came. The dread got more intense, but after crossing the bridge, it eased but was still there. I stated that whatever it was isn't allowed to follow us home, and it wasn't allowed on my property. It started to disappear, and we kept seeing things along the road like shadows. As I was driving to the main road, a white truck pulled up very fast to a stop sign on a side road, almost as if out of thin air, and pulled up behind us. I didn't take much note of it until I looked in my rear view and saw it tailing the hell out of us. I pointed it out and Case said he didn't like the feeling he got from the truck. We got to the stop sign that lead out to the main road and I purposefully didn't turn my blinker on in case it was following us. But the truck did and it was turning the same way as us. After I made the turn I waited a few moments before looking back in the rear view and it was gone. It disappeared into thin air. The drive home was silent and just waited until we got back to talk about things he knew and should thought of before we even got in the car. I was telling the story to a friend over Discord and asked Cass to describe the thing he saw on the road, asking if it walked on two legs or four. He said it didn't have legs. It was brown and looked like a head that just crossed the road. Asking him about it now, he said that it was tall, taller than the doorframe of my closet, and he saw it from a distance, so he didn't know what its body looked like. I asked if it couldn't been a bat, and he emphasized that it couldn't have been. During the drive home, we both noted that it felt like there was a hand on each of our shoulders. He pointed out that the log in the road could have been a sign not to go, as well as a friendly entity that appeared in my room beforehand. I'm thinking it's a certain W-word entity. Names hold power, and I will not refer to it by name. This happened in Alabama.
The vast frozen wilderness of Alaska was our hunting ground. Our objective was simple, caribou. The trip began as any other, a group of us seasoned hunters, stepping into the icy tundra, armed with rifles and a lifetime of experience. What we encountered there, however, was far beyond our wildest imaginations. It started with the tracks, unusual, enormous, with a stride that suggested a creature of immense size. They were like nothing we'd ever seen, unlike any beast known to modern science. A sense of unease spread among us, but we were hunters. We followed the tracks drawn by the allure of the unknown. The Alaskan weather, always fickle, took a turn for the worse. A blizzard blew in, an unforgiving wall of snow and wind that reduced visibility to mere feet. But the tracks were fresh in the promise of uncovering the creature that made them drove us forward. It was a mistake. The blizzard was relentless, the cold biting through our gear. And then, through the swirling snow, we saw it, a monstrous silhouette, enormous and hulking against the white landscape. Its eyes glowed an eerie blue, and it let out a sound that chilled us to the bone, a deep, resonating growl that echoed across the tundra. The creature attacked. It was quick, far quicker than its size suggested. We fought back, our rifles lighting up the blizzard, but it was like shooting at a shadow. One by one, my fellow hunters fell, their screams lost in the howling wind. In the end, it was just me, wounded, half-frozen. I lay in the snow, the taste of blood in my mouth. The creature loomed over me, its massive form a terrifying sight against the blizzard. I closed my eyes, accepting my fate. But then, a sound cut through the storm, a sound that spelled hope. The thumping blades of a helicopter. I looked up, squinting against the snow, and there it was, a rescue helicopter hovering above. I raised my hand, mustering the last of my strength to wave. The creature, startled by the noise, retreated into the storm, its monstrous form disappearing into the white. I don't remember much after that. The cold, the pain, the blinding light of the helicopter's searchlight, and then blackness. I woke up in a hospital bed, my body a network of bandages and IV lines. I was the sole survivor, a testament to the dual threats of nature's wrath and the monstrous creature of the Alaskan tundra. The memory of the creature's glowing eyes still haunts me, a chilling reminder of the unknown dangers lurking in the wilderness. I spent my entire life in the woods, hunting and living off the land. It was a way of life passed down to me by my father and uncle, and now I was passing it on to my cousin. One particular day, we were out on a woodcock hunt. My dad, uncle, cousin, and our dogs were positioned to my left in the thick woods. I was stationed on the outskirts, ready to shoot any birds that tried to escape. I was in a relatively open area. Scattered trees standing sentinels far apart from each other. My dad was just inside the edge of the woods, barely twenty feet away from me. Something, a gut instinct perhaps, prompted me to look to my right. The area was wide open, offering a clear view for at least a hundred yards. As I turned, I noticed a man about twenty feet away from me, walking directly toward me with his head down. He wore a red shirt, a brown vest blue jeans and a brown Jones, style hunting cap. His hair was black, but he was unarmed, with no gun in sight. Confused, I turned to my dad and pointed out the stranger. However, when he looked in the direction I was pointing, he replied, What man? I swiveled my gaze back to where the man had been just seconds before, but he was gone. He had disappeared without a trace. There were no hiding spots in sight. The landscape was too open, too bare. It bothered me for a long time. I was certain I hadn't been hallucinating. The man was solid, his details etched in my mind with crystal clarity. This was just one of many strange, unexplainable experiences I've had in these woods. The mystery of the disappearing man was yet another testament to the fact that there's much we don't understand about the world around us. Back in 1991, I stumbled upon an alleged secret government facility in Hawaii. 
As a former employee there, I knew I had to share the extraordinary things that had been happening behind those heavily guarded walls for years. The facility housed a classified unit that trained psychic warriors capable of remote viewing into realities and timelines where, it seemed, humans had never set foot. I, William Edgar, worked at this mind-bending facility in the late 80s. What I witnessed there was beyond the realms of everyday comprehension. Every military personnel was versed in the art of psychic warfare, enabling them to be deployed into other timelines and universes. They harnessed clairvoyance and precognition to achieve their mission objectives. The United States government, according to my insights, had discovered an interdimensional travel method for these classified units. They manipulated the biophysical bodies of personnel to induce out-of-body experiences, leaving their physical bodies behind. I believe this secret government operation aimed to harness time and space's power, accessing other universes that existed in the same spatial plane, but different temporal ones. When a person was said to have left their body, they entered what's known as the biophysical phase. As per conspiracy theory lore, leaving the physical form behind enables a person to defy the laws of physics, walking through walls flying and even traveling through different timelines or parallel universes. They could venture into epics before human civilization emerged on Earth. I noticed that recruits were being selected from top-tier universities across America. Many of these students showed exceptional potential for psychic abilities, often linked to their youth. These recruits underwent rigorous training to sharpen their abilities before they were deemed ready for field missions. Tragically, my life was cut short in a fatal car accident in 1993, shortly after I released this information. The Hawaiian government and the United States government were quick to respond, dismissing all my claims as preposterous and absurd. Yet I can only share the truth as I experienced it. In the year 2023, I found myself camping alone in the woods, a place where I sought peace and solitude. My first few nights were rather peaceful, marked only by the typical sounds of nature. But one morning I woke up to the sight of my campsite in utter chaos. My fire pit was scattered, wood and ash strewn about haphazardly, and my favorite log split in two. The worst part, however, was the monstrous footprint left in the ash, a chilling reminder of something inhuman. Despite the unease, I decided to venture deeper into the woods. I chose a small clearing surrounded by a dense patch of trees and shrubs, which offered some semblance of safety. I hoped that this move would be the end of the strange occurrences, but I couldn't have been more wrong. On my first night in the new spot, I woke up around midnight, nature calling. The air was buzzing with an energy I couldn't quite place, and a sense of dread hung heavy in the air. But sleep, dazed and needing to relieve myself, I stepped out of the tent. As I did, I heard a whimpering sound from behind, the same sound I'd heard nights before. I turned around slowly, and there it was. A tall, thin figure was standing in the moonlight, its head bowed, revealing a face unlike anything I'd seen. Its body was eerily contorted, and its limbs twisted in a way that seemed to defy the laws of anatomy. The pale skin under the moonlight was hairless and sickly, and the rotten smell in the air confirmed my worst fears. This was the creature responsible for the footprint and the chaos at my previous campsite. Suddenly it looked up. Its eyes were a burning red filled with an anger and intensity that made my blood run cold. In an instant, it was on me, slashing its claws across my chest. The pain was immediate and intense, and blood soaked my clothes. In a fit of rage, the creature hurled me against a nearby tree, the impact breaking my ribs and blurring my vision. Somehow I managed to escape and stumbled my way to the ER, arriving at 4 a.m., drenched in blood and babbling about the creature in the woods. The terror of that night still haunts me, a vivid reminder of the horrifying cryptid that lurks in the shadows of the woods.
I spent various stretches of time backpacking and camping throughout the United States and seen some strange things. My brother and I came across an abandoned trailer town of sorts that scared the hell out of us. We also came across a run-down town, really, really small, out in New Mexico that seemed to have one person living in it. We based that on the fact that there was still some food and supplies there that were fairly fresh, perhaps just a few days old. Spent a couple days there trying to find the person just to find out why they were staying in the town. Never found the person. We found the skeletal remains of an unknown number of deer, ranging from bucks to fawn, ensnared in a barbed wire fence that encompassed a ten-by-ten area in the Ozarks. A few of the skulls topped the fence posts, and there was one post in the middle of this area that had decaying deer bodies. Looked to be two, but there were only six hooves jutting out of the wreckage, wrapped around it. We found a dummy hanging from a tree while in the Yukon Territory of Canada, literally out in the middle of the woods. No reason for it as far as we know. And we also came across a dead junkie on a road out of Olympia. Obvious O.D. as he had his arm tied and a needle in hand. Eyes were glazed over and staring straight ahead, mouth slightly ajar. In the summer of 2023, I embarked on a backpacking trip in Yellowstone National Park, an adventure that would lead me to an eerie discovery. We were hiking high above the tree line, approximately 10,500 feet up, on a ridge overlooking a tranquil, secluded lake. The view was breathtaking, the pristine beauty of nature as far as the eye could see. As we trekked along the ridge, something unusual caught my eye, standing out starkly against the rocky terrain. There, in the middle of nowhere, was a horse skull. No body, just the skull, bleached white by the sun its hollow eye sockets staring into oblivion. It was a macabre but fascinating sight, and I couldn't help but wonder about the story behind it. We pressed on, reaching our campsite, which was a short distance away from the lake, near the location where we'd found the horse skull. The day's hike had been long and strenuous, so we decided to descend to the lake for a refreshing swim. However, as we approached the water's edge, we were met with a gruesome scene that froze us in our tracks. There, rotting at the edge of the lake, was the body of the horse, its flesh decaying and bones protruding in a grotesque display. The sight was profoundly disturbing, but what was even more bizarre was the sight of negative film strips floating in the water, scattered around the shore near the decaying body. Some of the film strips had washed ashore, their images distorted and faded, but still visible. The sight was eerie, to say the least, a strange and morbid juxtaposition of life and death. It was as if we had stumbled upon the remnants of some dark, unsolved mystery. The horse skull, the decaying body, the negative film strips, all were pieces of a puzzle that seemed to defy understanding. That night, as we huddled around our campfire, the image of the horse skull and the decaying body haunted me. The lake, which had earlier seemed so serene, now felt like an enigma, its still waters holding on to a secret that we had inadvertently disturbed. The sight of the negative film strips, each one holding a snapshot of an unknown story, only added to the mystery. I often find myself reflecting on that day, the memory etched in my mind. The horse skull, the decaying body, the negative film strips, all served as a stark reminder of the unexpected and often inexplicable things one can encounter while venturing into the wilderness. It had been a year since the hunting trip that changed my friend's life. As a former United States Marine, he was someone I'd always admired for his resilience and strength. So when he went missing in the wilderness, it struck fear into all of us who knew him. We were hunting in the mountains, a group of us. It was meant to be a boy's weekend, a chance to bond and let off some steam. But then he got lost. We heard his panicked voice over the radio, increasingly delirious, speaking of being pursued by a terrifying creature. He was hiding, he said, in a crevice in the mountainside, too scared to move, eat or drink. We found him days later, 
severely dehydrated and in a state of extreme fear. His recovery was slow, and the trauma from his ordeal was so severe that he was admitted to a psychiatric facility. A year later, he reached out. I noticed he was on anti-anxiety medication, and he never ventured out at night. It was clear the experience had deeply scarred him. One night, over a few drinks at his home, he finally opened up about his harrowing experience. The details were chilling. He spoke of the first night alone in the mountains, of a guttural growl that filled him with dread, of feeling watched. His flashlight and radio had stopped working, leaving him blind and isolated. In his panic, he ran until he found a small crevice in the mountainside where he hid. His description of the creature was something straight out of a horror film, a seven-foot-tall, almost-human figure with thin, wrongly-jointed limbs. Its skin was pale, like it had been rotting in its eyes. They were a fierce, burning red. On the second day, while the creature was absent, his radio had briefly sprung back to life, and he had been able to call for help. But after that night, he refused to confirm or deny his story. I've been researching since then, trying to understand the mystery haunted by his tail, by the lingering smell of rotting flesh at the rescue site, and the eerie feeling of being watched. Despite the fear, there's a part of me that needs to know, that wants to understand what he went through. But sometimes, late at night, when the shadows dance on my walls, I can't help but wonder if there are some things better left unknown. The heat of the New Mexico sun beat down on me as I set off on a solitary hike, eager to explore the vast wilderness while hunting for hidden geocaches. The vast openness was a sight to behold, but the true allure was what was hidden in the wild, waiting to be discovered. After a few hours of navigating through dense foliage, I found myself in a clearing. There I was met with a sight that seemed out of place in the serene wilderness. Half-built and crumbling concrete structures were scattered around, their skeletal frames of protruding rebar piercing the clear blue sky, a dirt road untouched by recent rains and worn by tire treads, cut through the clearing leading in from a direction opposite to the one I had come from. The sight was oddly chilling, a ghost town in the making, forsaken mid-construction, and left to crumble in the otherwise untouched wilderness. Signs of recent activity, footprints and freshly discarded trash, hinted that the site was still frequented, adding to the eerie atmosphere. It felt post-apocalyptic, a relic of civilization left to decay among nature. Alone and unsettled by the unexpected discovery, I felt a twinge of unease crawl up my spine. The thrill of geocaching took a back set to the creeping sense of dread permeating the area. I decided to abort my hunt choosing to retrace my steps and leave the uncanny sight behind. It was only later that I discovered the truth about the site. It was, in fact, a battleground for paintball tournaments, designed to mimic an urban warfare environment. There were no signs of spent paintballs or colorful splatters on the concrete walls, leaving no clues about its real purpose. This explained the seemingly misplaced urban decay in the heart of the wilderness. Yet, Knowing its purpose did little to diminish the eerie impression the sight had left on me. Its incongruity with its surroundings served as a stark reminder of how jarring the hand of humanity can be amidst the beauty of nature. I was with Outward Bound in Utah for three weeks. Majority of the three weeks you are with the group, but for one... Two days you go on a solo, or whatever they call it. They give you enough gear and food and plant you in a spot. You're not opposed to leave for any reason. If you have a problem, you blow the safety whistle and someone will come. We were pretty much just out of line of sight from each other in the group. So I get to my spot, set up shop, and walk around my area a little bit. I then find the mangled and decayed husk of an elk not fifty feet from my sleeping bag. It had been there for a month or two, and there was barely any meat left on it, so the smell wasn't that bad. It was very clear that something had been eating the elk. The skull was three feet away from its spine. 
The legs were gone and the rib cage was smashed. There aren't too many things in the wild that can do this. It could have been. Ah, black bear, but they're a skittish and I could just yell at it and it would go away. Brown bear. If it was hungry, I would be in some serious shit. Coyotes. Not that threatening because I am not a small dog or cat. Wolves. Least likely as I don't think there are many left in Utah. Mountain lion. F me sideways if it decides to come back. Most carnivores don't want to travel great distances to hunt for food, so they stay close to their food supply. Most importantly, they don't haul the catch of the day back to the wife and kids. To my knowledge, only few animals do this. So if you find a kill of a carnivore, you're probably not too far where they live. Now sleep tight, alone, in the darkness, knowing that the animal that killed the elk isn't that far away from you, while you sleep alone, defenseless. I grew up in the concrete jungle of Brooklyn, a place where buildings scraped the sky and cars filled the streets. My eyes had only known the grays and blues of concrete and steel, the occasional splashes of green in city parks, and the vibrant diversity of urban life. The sight of an actual forest, a densely wooded area filled with trees, was alien to me. When I was a young teen, a friend decided to introduce me to the more natural side of Brooklyn. The trails in Prospect Park. We ventured away from the hustle and bustle of the city and into the serene woodland trails. The sheer contrast was unsettling, if not terrifying. The silence was an unfamiliar melody, a far cry from the incessant city noise. The towering trees cast long, menacing shadows, making the woodland seem eerily dark and haunted. Just as I was coming to terms with the uncanny surroundings, something caught my eye that sent a chill down my spine. The white face, a girl's face, peered out from a thicket of bushes. Her eyes were wide and vacant, her mouth open in what looked like a silent scream. It was as if she was frozen in the throes of absolute terror. Instantly, all the horror stories I had heard about deserted woods flooded my mind. My heart pounded against my chest as thoughts of the worst scenarios crossed my mind. Had a psycho serial killer dumped a victim's body here? I stood petrified. My breath held as I tried to process the sight. It took me a good thirty seconds to realize the truth. The girl's face belonged to an inflatable sex doll, oddly discarded in the bushes. It was a bizarre sight, and though it was far from the gruesome scenario I had imagined, it still added a strange twist to my first experience with the woods. Not too long ago, while hunting near Saddle Mountain close to Beatty, my hunting party had heard and smelled something eerie. Loud screams, not dissimilar to those of a large bear, echoed through the quiet woods. The eerie part was that there were no big bears in these parts. Those gut-wrenching screams were still etched in my memory, playing out like a nightmare I couldn't shake off. Then came the silence. The unsettling silence continued the unusual smell growing stronger. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I saw something move. It was a fleeting shadow at first, but as I focused my gaze, it became clear that it was a large, upright figure standing on the edge of the woods. It was massive, towering over the tallest trees, silhouetted against the faintly glowing evening sky. I squinted, trying to make sense of what I was seeing. The figure had a distinct humanoid shape, but was covered head, too, toe in thick, dark fur. It stood there for a moment, its eyes glowing. In Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The dim light seemingly observing us. Bigfoot, 
It had to be. I kept my eyes on the creature until we safely backtracked. Although the encounter was brief and somewhat frightening, it was also utterly fascinating. My hunting troop told me that we needed to shoot it, but I was against such an idea. I think they're more human-like than we think. About seven years ago, I was a ranger in Colorado. I relished the job, the outdoors, the communion with nature, the respect for animals and plants that it demanded. My duties included patrolling the trails and park maintenance. A high degree of fitness was required, something I had back then. I'd recommend it to any nature enthusiast or social butterfly. However, a car accident resulting in a severe right knee fracture forced me to quit. My knee never fully recovered, and I couldn't stand for extended periods, rendering the job unfeasible. Now, here's a story from that time two years prior to my accident. It was winter, the sun set early, and I found myself working late alone in the park. My task was to clean up the trash left by visitors and clear debris from the trails. That particular night, there was an unusual amount of trash left behind. Time escaped me as I meticulously worked to ensure trail safety. My life was simple at that time, single, childless, with only my dogs awaiting my return home. So working late wasn't much of an issue. Amid the tranquil park silence, a sudden loud noise like a heavy object dropping jarred me, thinking at a fallen branch. I ventured towards the source. Nothing lay on the ground. As I pondered this, another similar sound echoed from a different direction. I saw the silhouette of a small person, almost childlike, behind a tree. This was unusual. Nobody was supposed to be there that late. My initial curiosity turned into concern. I called out to them, but in response they started running. I gave chase, not to chastise, but to ensure they didn't lose themselves in the dangerous woods. However, they vanished from sight. I was taken aback at their speed. Despite being a seasoned runner, I failed to keep up. Reporting the incident to my supervisor, I was instructed to wait for assistance. But another thud sounded behind me, in the opposite direction of our chase. The small figure reappeared behind another tree. It was puzzling how they had circled around me without detection. Despite my calls, they fled again, leaving me disoriented and lost in the woods. In my desperate attempts to contact my supervisor for help, I found my cell service had disappeared. Fear began to take hold. After hours of futile wandering, I decided to rest and wait for dawn. Waking to the sight of a woman and her child walking a trail mere meters from me left me baffled. I had no memory of being anywhere near a trail. For months following this unsettling experience, nightmares haunted me. My colleagues searched for both me and the stranger that night without success. They surmised that a prankster teenager and my exhaustion had caused the whole ordeal. I knew that wasn't the truth, but I couldn't explain what actually transpired that night. Maybe you can make sense of it. On June 22, 2013, I, Officer Jameson, spotted what I can only describe as a dogman in the middle of a dirt road. It was standing on its hind legs, staring directly at me. This case intrigued me, given the proximity to my home and the fact that this creature has reportedly been sighted by locals since 1995, including my own encounter. I've since engaged with several individuals who claim to have witnessed the creature. Two separate people relayed to me their encounters with a dogman in the Kempner area, located just off of United States, 75 between Crum and Sanger, in Texas and Cotton, Oklahoma. In my discussions with several residents of the area, including a former police officer, it became apparent that this creature has been spotted numerous times over the years. My first exposure to this phenomenon came from a local government official of a nearby town who wished to remain anonymous. He shared with me that his family members living in Kempner had relayed their encounters with the dogman, including multiple instances of the creature chasing deer. 
Further investigation led me back to my own 1995 sighting of the peculiar creature. I also came across recent cell phone images captured by an Oklahoma construction worker. These images reveal an animal standing upright like a human near the I-35 between Durant and Gainesville, heading into Texas. My encounter and the compelling evidence I had gathered prompted me to reach out to other officials specializing in cryptozoology. We reached a consensus that this creature could indeed be a dogman. We also considered it may be the same creature reported to be preying on livestock in southern Oklahoma, near Lawton, dating back decades. We even hypothesized that this creature might be responsible for the killing and partial consumption of two calves in northern Fanning County back in 2011 and a horse in Cole County near Bromide in 2013. This was following a sighting by a school bus driver on Highway 69 east of Tishomingo, who also reported finding tracks in the vicinity. I've gathered more recent encounter stories from locals, including a family who shared their potential Sasquatch encounters near their home. Armed with this information, my partner and I are gearing up to investigate the area further and search for possible denning sites. Wish me luck. I'm a hunter of wildlife photographs. Was hiking in some thick rainforest when I heard some rustling some distance away. Not loud rustling, just like something small was moving in the branches. This sound was coming from a spot that was between me and the road. And the approach is only a three, four foot wide path and thick cover on either side. I thought it was probably monkeys, but felt it would be better if I left. So I started retracing my steps. Turned the last bend in the path, and now it was the home stretch. Maybe thirty more steps to the safety of the road. But there, looming right before me, within touching distance, was a bull elephant looking straight at me. Lone bull elephants have a bad reputation in India. I thought I was a goner. Life flashed before my eyes, etc. He was probably puzzled, too, and showed his displeasure. He stomped his foot, swayed his head from side to side, groaned and crashed away through the trees on his left. I don't know why I was spared that day. Next day, in a completely different part of the forest, I was sitting under a tree, catching my breath. The forest here wasn't so thick, so I could see around me, and whoosh, another bull elephant, but this one somehow. Can't explain somehow didn't give me bad vibes. He appeared from 10 o'clock direction, approached to about 20, 30 feet away, and then lost interest in me and proceeded to take his lunch. We spent about 10 minutes together. My heart was busting, but somehow my brain was calm and I knew nothing bad was going to happen. Nothing did. He finished eating and left. I never went into the forest alone after that. This happened when I was 16 almost 10 years ago. Me and my friend were driving around on one of our nighttime adventures. We loved just driving around the city at night and just talking. We were on a pretty busy road. We noticed that off the side of this road was a sudden dirt road that led off into the woods. It interested us, and this was what we considered an adventure. So what the hell, we turned on to it. This was a zone of the creepiest roads I have ever seen. Pitch black. No lights, no cell phone reception. Surrounded by thick woods, trees filled with cobwebs, and there were clothes thrown around everywhere. You wouldn't think that you were in the middle of a city. It was weird from the start. As we're driving down the road, there's this small cliff with large, strange black sculptures on top of it. One was a giant cube balancing on one corner that looked like it had faces carved into it. Another was more two-dimensional, about twelve or so feet tall with no features, but kind of looked like a twisted human with missing limbs. This small cliff had a gravel road next to it. We drove up it, and there's a large metal building with multiple rusted metal doors. Those kind you pull up to open. I immediately looked at my friend and said, This is a weirdy ship building. I wonder why it's here. She said, I don't know but we need to leave now. This feels bad. And there's cameras everywhere. 
She pointed them out, and sure enough, there were cameras literally embedded into the trees. You could see the lenses sticking out of the trunks. We pulled up just a little bit to turn around. We parked right there on the side of the road once we got off the gravel one. We were debating on whether it was safe to get out and take some pictures, just as we figured it was best to come back in the morning. Suddenly, about five dudes appeared out of nowhere. They had the car surrounded and were screaming and beating on the car and windows. I'm not sure what they were yelling about. I heard one of them mention something about a basement. I thought he said you drove over a basement. As we're looking around and at each other like, what the F is going on and what do we do? The dude in front of us picks up a massive rock and looks like he's getting ready to chuck it through the windshield. She throws the car into reverse and floors it. This road is narrow, so she practically drives in reverse the whole way down. And we hit the main road and begin driving down it. I'll never forget as I turned around and watched a green pickup truck with blue headlights peel out onto the road off that street. I turned to her and yelled, Dude, they're following us. We drove through all sorts of places, gas station, parking lots, back roads. This truck followed us through every single one. After about 20 minutes, her instinct was to go home. I knew better. I told her if someone is chasing you in a car, never go home. You don't want them knowing where you live. I told her to drive until she lost them or go to the police station. She didn't want me to call the police or to really even have to deal with the police yet. So we kept driving, driving fast and taking as many turns as possible. Eventually, we entered the highway and just kept driving on it. We finally lost them in between all the cars and got off on an exit. They kept driving straight. They chased us for almost two hours. It was insane. We would talk about it every now and then, wondering what that place was or what they wanted. We'd also bring up the basement thing and wonder if that's what they said, and if so, who's stupid enough to build a basement underneath a driveway, or what kind of psychopath has a secret basement in the middle of the woods? Sometimes we'd contemplate going back, but quickly decide it was a stupid idea. Never been back since. But ten years later, I'm still curious about the place. In early February, an intriguing tip came my way, hinting at a series of astonishing encounters with none other than Bigfoot in Elk County. Eager to delve deeper into this mysterious phenomenon, I seized the opportunity to interview two witnesses who had experienced firsthand the presence of the elusive creature. What I uncovered during those conversations left me both astounded and captivated. One resident, who wished to remain anonymous, shared a remarkable account with me. He revealed that he had been actively placing scrap buckets filled with an assortment of food, apples, berries, and corn, near the edges of the woods, hoping to provide a feast for the local wildlife. Little did he know that his generous act would soon lead to an encounter he would never forget. On the fateful evening of his encounter, the resident found himself in his cozy home, enveloped by the tranquility of the surrounding forest. Suddenly, a distant sound of heavy, thunderous footfalls pierced the stillness, causing his curiosity to awaken. Recognizing that the rhythm and weight of those steps did not match the gait of an elk or deer, a sense of intrigue mingled with a touch of apprehension settled within him. A few minutes later, his outside security system alerted him to movement near the vicinity of his property. With a mix of anticipation and trepidation, he peered out of a nearby window, straining his eyes to discern the source of the commotion. What he witnessed next defied all logic and reason. Standing before him was a colossal figure towering between eight to nine feet in height. Its entire form was enveloped in a thick cloak of black and gray hair, rendering its true features partially concealed. The creature's imposing stature was such that the window frame itself obscured its head from view. The witness's heart raced and a sense of awe washed over him, realizing he was in the presence of something truly extraordinary. The creature possessed an immense wingspan, its shoulders broad and robust, its long arm swung rhythmically with each calculated stride, a testament to its untamed power. 
With measured grace, it moved away from the property, disappearing into the depths of the surrounding woods. The witness stood transfixed, the weight of the encounter settling upon him, forever etching this remarkable sight into the depths of his memory. I'm a born and raised Long Islander. So are my parents. They met out east, which in Islander talk means the east end of the island. To any NYC rich kids, that means the Hamptons. But for the rest of us who are coincidentally not millionaires, it means the North Fork. Not to get too geographically confusing, but Long Island is an accurately named Long Island that forks off about a three-quarters of the way down the 90 miles it stretches. It kind of looks like a fish with its mouth open, with the North Fork being where the eyes are and the Hamptons are the jaw. Shelter Island is somewhere in the middle, like a smaller fish about to be eaten. My mom's family had a summer house on the North Fork. My dad had a house on Shelter Island. My parents met working at a summer job, and the rest is clearly history. But super long explanation short, I grew up getting to pretend to be bougie because I had not one but two summer houses. I know, right? Shelter Island is my favorite place. In a lot of ways, just the island itself feels magical. The only access is by ferry, and while traveling there, you feel like you're being transported into a different world. But the picture of Shelter Island in the summer is very other than the winter. In the summer, the population rises to around 20,000 people. But in the winter, not more than 2,000. So, I was around 13 or 14. I had invited my best friend to come out with my family that weekend. I was so excited as it was one of the first times she was able to. I remember our bathroom was being renovated, and so the only other bathroom we could use was in the dank, dark basement, and the only connection to the house was by going outside and down the stairs, and then down another set of stairs into the basement. So it had to have been around 10 o'clock, and we went together to the bathroom to brush our teeth. The moon was almost full, so bright it provided some lights on an island that street lamps were few and far between. If it wasn't for the light of the moon, we probably would have passed the creature altogether without realizing it, because out there, you can hardly see two feet in front of you when it's dark. As we were coming back up the stairs, laughing about something menial was when we saw it. It was about ten feet away, with its back to us, lurking near my shed. We both froze and did that thing where you take a quick breath and hold it involuntarily. That made the creature notice us. Its head whipped around and his eyes were glowing, a kind of blood red. It didn't look angry, but rather like a feral dog, not knowing how to react to these two teen girls observing it. Almost as if not to scare us, it slowly rose up to full size, which I would guess was around seven feet. The whole time, it never broke eye contact. I felt I could fall into the pits of blood that its eyes were. It was covered in long, shaggy black hair and had thick, human-like legs. After standing there, frozen in horror for at least a full minute, all the while still in this staring contest, we both regained control of our feet and ran up the stairs screaming for my parent. We saw a werewolf. We saw a werewolf. My dad went out first and we followed. My dad quickly dismissed it and went back inside, a bit disgruntled. I could have sworn I saw a bush where it was near move. Over the years, I've had many theories, one of which is that the native people who lived on the island before the white man are responsible, as shape-shifting legends are prevalent in indigenous peoples' cultures. Maybe it's the descendants of the people who stole this land, cursed to turn under the full moon choosing isolation to protect their secret, for nine months out of the twelve, anyway. A couple weeks ago, my dad shared the below. My dad is about as down-to-earth and grounded as they get. Him, his then-high school girlfriend, his best friend with girlfriend in tow, and another male friend would drive out to the back roads, the roads we're talking about are pretty desolate, could go through the night without seeing another car. 
They would randomly stop, put on some tunes, and do what teens do. This is the late 70s as referenced. One night they stopped and were hanging out, when in the field, about 500 yards away, a total of five lights shone spaced about 50 yards from each other and roughly 20 feet off the ground. My dad said they all just stared because the lights were so brilliantly bright, but really did not hurt the eyes. Roughly 15 seconds after being on, they went off without a sound. They all were discussing what it was when once again the lights came on again. This time they noticed three people standing about 50 yards in front of the lights, just standing no movement. Lights turned back off, my dad said they were not scared since it seemed so far away from them. Lights go back on. The initial three people have moved up roughly 50 yards and there is now five more behind them. 50 yards. Like bowling pin arrangement, lights back off. At this point, while still kind of watching, my dad and his friends are packing up to nope out of there. The lights come back on, and there is the initial eight people still in the same position, but now one single person about 200 yards away, right in the middle of the light spectrum. That was it. They floored it out of there. No one looked back, and it was never spoken of amongst the friends. My dad said if it was some sort of production to spook five high schoolers, it was well accomplished. All this happened within a three-five minute period of time as reference. I had to ask, did you see the lights for a fourth time while driving away? He said they were all so shook up. They would not have even noticed, did not want to see them again. This happened on a backwoods creepy highway road somewhere between Georgia and Florida in the 80s. My family has always been a Midwestern road trip family since Dad does not like flying. When I was a preteen, we took one of many road trips to Florida, and Mom, Dad both would drive for the entire 24 hours just to stop to eat and take breaks, gas. I have always been a light road sleeper and wake up for anything. The reason why this story sticks with me so well is that it is one of the only times I've seen both my parents show signs of being scared, something as a kid I really never saw. In the middle of the night, I remember waking up to my parents talking about something in a concerning tone. The windows were open, since we were far enough south now to be out of crappy November Midwest weather. Once I wake up, they both stop talking, so I sit up thinking they were arguing or something, and that I stopped it. I look out the window and see nothing, just like trees and fields, the moon and electrical poles, but nothing, no houses, no other cars, nothing, nothing, nothing. I ask where we are, and my mom actually says I don't know. So now I'm really like WTF. I say, are we lost? And they both just say nothing. And then I hear music, like our car radio playing, but it's coming from outside. Just loud enough, like it's a car next to us. But we are the only car on the road, but not loud enough to make out the exact song. It's just music. And my parents are listening to it, too, all quiet. So I say, where is that music coming from? And there's a pause, and my mom finally says, I don't know. So I say, is it our radio? And my mom says, no. And then suddenly my dad says very, very calmly, wife, roll up your window. And my mom practically has a heart attack getting the window rolled up. I went back to sleep somehow, but I had no idea what was happening. And my dad drove faster. On the same trip, we saw a couple with a trailer hitching up a car behind them. But it was hitched up in a way that it looked like an invisible person was driving. My parents thought that was so hilarious and then redirected any mention of the phantom music to that part of my trip. So I've never fully gotten 100% the true story. I hope you enjoyed. I have other weird forest creepy encounters too, if you would like more. When I was younger, I worked as a ranger in a Georgia park. Most of my nights were spent instructing people not to leave out offerings for bears and other animals. But every now and again, I got a call about rowdy teens or even rowdier adults. It was a thankless job, but dealing with the public often was. One night, as I leaned back in my chair, trying to stay awake by listening to a podcast, the phone rang. 
Normally, I relished the action. The night shift was miserable without it. But it was freezing cold outside tonight, and I had no registered campers. The last thing I wanted to do was leave the central heating of my post to go and hunt down a group of kids that ran off to make out in the woods. Frustrated before I had the chance to say hello, I brought the phone to my ear waiting for somebody to say something. However, no matter how I called out to the other person, there was only heavy breathing in response. Nothing like a good old-fashioned prank call to make me hate youth just a bit more than I already did. I hung up, resuming my podcast, content to doze off until morning. But the prank caller had other plans. They called four times, only ever breathing heavier into the receiver. By the fifth call, my patience was at its end. I answered with a sharp what, only to have it steamrolled by crying and begging, a muddled voice that was nearly indecipherable. I don't remember how long I spent trying to calm her down before she finally choked something out. By the river, please help. The line went dead because why wouldn't it have? And then nobody else called. All efforts to call her back were met with the telltale ring of a busy phone line. But by the river was too vague. The river stretched through most of the park. It would take hours to comb the area on my own. But when I realized it was my line that was cut, I had no other choice. I grabbed my shotgun off the wall, hoping almost desperately that it was just a bear taking a break from hibernation to hassle a woman for her peanut butter sandwich and not another psychopath. Hello, is anybody out there? I stood on the doorstep with my ear to the wind, hoping to get some kind of clue for what direction to head off into. I was met with silence. I heaved a sigh of defeat and chose a direction at random. When I found her, I swore I'd give her a good old piece of my mind. And not only was it freezing, but the trails were pretty clear about not getting near the river. They were endless, deadly combinations lurking within their depths. And some said the danger did not solely lie beneath the water. Some said that the gray woman walked along the banks, crying out for help in an effort to lead compassionate bystanders into the water. The story I didn't necessarily believe, but it was entertaining nevertheless. The stories my co-workers came up with never ceased to tickle me. I was about 30 minutes away from the ranger station when I stepped on something squelching beneath my boots. It was hard to make out in the darkness, but as I knelt down before the mass, I realized exactly what I was dealing with. Someone's wet clothes sat in a heap, discarded in a hurry in an effort to warm up after falling in and the ice was rarely thick enough to bounce an acorn off, let alone pretend to be capable of holding a human's weight. So, I can only wonder how anybody could have gotten so soaked. Even if they'd slid down the bank, there was no way they'd been submerged the way these garments suggested. I was about to start searching for blood trails when a voice came from the trees. It was nothing more than a hiss, but it sent my heart into overdrive, my first instinct was to haul it back to where I came from, to leave the whispers behind once and for all. But the shotgun in my hand was more than capable of turning a human into Swiss cheese, so I pushed forward. I called into the trees, demanding that the person hiding amongst the leafless branches come out with their hands up. When nothing happened, I called again, this time warning them that I'd shoot if they did not say something. Stop screaming. She'll hear. The voice from the trees didn't seem to understand the concept of packing heat. I could only wonder if she was in the throes of a psychotic break, and there was nothing else out there after all. Yet she was huddled amongst the vegetation, whimpering about some mysterious she. I was moments from threatening her with the cops when I heard the same voice from over the phone. It was just as hysterical as it had been, just as watery and hard to understand. If not for the icy hand on my wrist, I'd have followed the voice of the person I'd originally gone searching for. It was my job to help those in need on the trail, and I had no reason to hesitate. But the woman's hold was unbreakable in that moment, and her hissed warning to stay still made me think twice. I tried to help her, the woman told me. Her face was a breath away from my own, but she was as cold as the rocks along the river's edge. The heat that radiated from living beings was completely missing in her. But my attention went elsewhere as the voice called for help again. 
and if you don't want to end up like me, you'll go back the way you came. I had no idea what to account for. I could only assume this was the poltergeist of a woman who had passed. My mind raced with possibilities, each one more unsettling than the last. I had no intention of becoming a ghostly apparition haunting the park trapped in eternal torment. With a mix of fear and determination, I made the difficult decision to heed the warning. I turned on my heels, retracing my steps through the treacherous trails. The whispers and eerie voices that had accompanied me throughout the night seemed to fade away, as if the park itself was releasing me from its clutches. As I reached the ranger station, I couldn't help but feel a sense of relief wash over me. I may not have found the woman who called for help, but I had survived the encounter with whatever haunted those woods. And that was enough for now. Days turned into weeks, and the incident became a haunting memory. I continued my duties as a park ranger, but with a newfound respect for the unknown that lurked within the wilderness. I often wondered about the mysterious caller, the woman by the river, and the voice that warned me to turn back. Was it all a figment of my imagination? A manifestation of the park's dark history? Or was there something truly sinister dwelling within its depths? Regardless, I knew one thing for certain. The park held secrets that were best left undisturbed. And as I patrolled the fog-laden trails, I couldn't help but feel a shiver down my spine. A reminder that some mysteries were meant to remain unsolved.